Uh, good morning. Good to see every good to see everyone here this morning. Um, as I mentioned last week, we're we were finished our study in Acts and uh, in Sproul's commentary. He included what he called an epilogue, and it was from verses in Second Timothy, the last chapter of uh, when Paul's uh, last words to his um, his friend, his student, uh, his son in the faith, uh, Timothy. And so we're going to cover those. We're going to cover a few verses uh, from 2 Timothy 4. Um, we're going to read verses uh, 6 through 8, and then uh, 17 and 18, and then the end uh, are the verses we're going to cover today. So again, 2 Timothy 4, uh, and selected verses from, from that chapter. <clears throat> so starting in verse 6, it says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not to me only, but also all those who have loved his appearing. Then over to 17. Uh, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then the final verse, verse 22. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for our time this morning. Father, as we near or come to the end of our study of the Acts of the Apostles and this final uh, piece from uh, your servant Paul. We just pray that you'll be with us this morning. And uh, Father, we pray that you will uh, continue to guide us in all ways and all truth uh, for the sake of your kingdom. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, fitting that we can hear, we've heard so much from Paul uh, in the last um, year, year and a half in our study in Acts. And so uh, Dr. Sproul considered uh, to including these verses just at the end, just as a kind of a way to bring this to an end, uh, to a conclusion as our study uh, about Paul's life. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Sproul told in his commentary about a trip that he has taken to Rome. Anybody, I guess, been here to Rome? Anybody been? Pam's been to Rome. Didn't didn't uh, Bobby Sue? Did she go? Where'd she go? I know she traveled. She was Israel. Okay, sorry. I know she had a trip. Um, but he tells about uh, his, his trip uh, to Rome. They obviously went to a bunch of uh, important places while he was in Rome. But, but they went down and visited uh, what was originally used as a cistern. You all know what a cistern is. It's a way to hold water. Uh, it was a chamber about uh, 15 feet wide and 15 feet deep and about 8 feet high. Um, it, was, it was a cavern. Uh, again, it was carved out of or made out of solid rock. Uh, so it was this cavern was cold, it was dark, and it was dank. Um, and this was the place where he stood, where Paul was held captive that one final time. Uh, the Mamertine prison, where Paul was held captive. And so he found himself there, in the place where Paul spent his last days and hours. Um, we say days and hours, we don't exactly know how long Paul was held prisoner there. Um, Dr. Sproul said, uh, as, and you can just imagine if you were being there, um, 
He says, as I stepped down into this old cistern, this cold, dark, dank place, he says, I, I thought to myself, this, this is where it happened. This is, this is where Paul wrote his last words to Timothy, here, in this situation. <clears throat> so we're here in verse 6. Again, Paul's bringing this to a close. And he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Well, the first thing that Paul says is he, he says his life is being poured out as a drink offering. Um, may sound a little bit strange, but we know that Paul was referring to uh, the Old Testament uh, system of sacrifice, the sacrificial system that was prescribed. As we know, when the animals were sacrificed, uh, the blood was then uh, was, was contained and then poured out on the altar. And that's a reference is what Paul's reference being poured. My life, his life's being poured out as a drink offering. Uh, Paul now Paul knows Paul's not trying to um, circumvent the work of Christ. He's not trying to add to the work of Christ. He he knows that the sacrifice that Christ offered uh, on the cross was completely perfect. It was sufficient. Um, it was offered once for all. So Paul's not trying to add to that. He's not not trying to say. You know that I can improve upon that. It's, that was sufficient. It was it was complete in what uh, Christ has done. Uh, so Paul knows he can't add anything to it. But what Paul was aware, and why he, why, I think why he chose these words was he's aware that every Christian's task, every Christian's duty, okay, his call in this life is to bear witness to Christ's own sacrifice by doing what? By offering your life back to Him as a sacrifice. It's. Again, not uh, that we can add to it or, or to merit anything uh, other than what Christ has done, but a way to give back, to offer it back because of what uh, Christ has done for us. He has redeemed us. He has bought us for Himself. We are, we are not our own. So uh, Paul's what, he, what he's saying is he's reminding all of us today that is, that is his task. That's also our task, offering our life back uh, to Christ as a sacrifice. Now, Paul talks about this kind of sacrifice um, because he, he references a living sacrifice right over in Romans 12.1. And you remember that section in Romans uh, at 12.1, it's, uh, it's that transitional chapter, right? He's talking about doctrine and then he starts going by application. Uh, Paul said, I be- this is Romans 12.1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, or you could say reasonable worship. Living sacrifice. Sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? Okay, uh, And, and it, it does sound like a contradiction, but um, I think, again, us coming off this study uh, of the last uh, 20 years of Paul's missionary journeys, we could say that his life was a living sacrifice. He gave up his own desires for the pursuit of the gospel, for the pursuit of ministry, for the pursuit of obeying God and giving back to Him uh, his life. Uh, Paul's uh, death, obviously, is uh, in this situation, it's very close. He, he says what? He says, my departure is at hand. So he knows his life is close to being over. Now, when we look at the words used uh, the Greek word, as this would have been written in, the Greek word uh, departure is uh, a word where we get our English word analysis. Okay, departure is where we get our, it's a Greek word, uh, excuse, that we get our English word analysis. 
So if you if we were to make a literal uh, translation of this, it would read like this. The time of my analysis is, is near. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? The time of my analysis is near. Uh, I think Sproul said, well, you know, what is he? Is he going to go be evaluated by a psychiatrist or something? Should he be analyzed, you know? Obviously, we know that's, that's not uh, the case. Um, the term, when the term analysis was first coined, it was uh, close to the original Greek and to uh, to analyze something was to parse it, to separate it, uh, to take close examination of it. Uh, as one part is thou separated from another part. So what was Paul saying? He's, Paul was saying, I'm about, my body is about to be separated from my soul. My body is about to be separated from his soul. He would still be alive, Right, he's. We don't believe in, uh, and he knows that he's. He's not dying in the sense that he will never exist anymore. He will still be alive, but he knows his soul is going to be with Jesus, uh, and his body would be left in the grave. We continue with that word um, departure from the Latin translation of the same word. We get the word disillusion, or even better, resolution. Now we're we're doing word studies, and I know uh, it's difficult for me, but bear with us. Um, so we could also say from the Latin translation, another way to say this is, for the time of my resolution is at hand. When you think about uh, a resolution, or um, when you think about, uh, and, and in this context, we could think about this this kind of resolution. He's talking not something you would type up and write and proclaim. You know, like you proclaim a, a resolution for some government body. Not that. He's talking about a resolution that's concerning resolving some sort of conflict or tension. Now think about that for a minute. When you think about approaching the end of your life. And you think about res- the time of resolution as at hand. Uh, resolving a conflict or a tension. you have conflict and tension in your life? I know I do. Um, and I think that's what, uh, and Dr. Sproul says, what I think Paul was trying to say to Timothy. And we have so many, we, we know so many words of Timothy. We, we've used them uh, in this study. We've used them in other places. But, uh, excuse me, of Paul, uh, words of Paul about the things, you know, that he wants to do, he doesn't do. Uh, the th- uh, all these things, you know, the struggle with the old man and the new man. Uh, the struggle with this tension, this conflict within. As we are new creations, but we still struggle with the old man. And so Paul was saying, the time of this stress, this life that, that I've been... Uh, dealing with that, that time uh, for this to be resolved is almost here the time of stress and tension um, and, and again this is here because we've just finished studying about Paul's life yes we all agree there was stress and tension in Paul's life uh, a lot um, and so Paul's saying to Timothy all of the pains and the problems uh, that he's experienced in this life would shortly be resolved they will be finally dealt with and done. And uh, and you could also uh, read into this that Paul was ready to go home. He was. It's the time. I know it's at hand. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He's he's ready to go home to be with his Savior. Now, as we read this um, last words of Paul, um, 
we remind ourselves of what most people, including ourselves, think about death. We fear death. We dread death. We do whatever we can to avoid death. Um, And Calvin had some helpful words here, and it's a little bit longer quote, but I want to read it for you. Because Paul's basically saying, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die. It's, It's time. And he's anticipating this, but not with any regret with with happiness and with joy. And so Calvin said, the mode of expression, Paul's words, is also worthy of notice uh, because he beautifully lessens the excessive dread of death by pointing out its effect and its nature. Talking about the resolution, what's going to happen when you die. How comes that men are so greatly dismayed at any mention of death, but because they think that they should perish utterly when they die? On the contrary, Paul by calling it disillusion, affirms that man does not perish, but teaches that the soul is merely separated from the body. So we have a wonderful perspective uh, from Paul here about death and what's about to happen. It is not the end of life, it's merely the beginning of the next, really really real life, right? Real life that's about to happen. Uh, This transition as we leave the body behind and our soul goes to be with Jesus. Now what we know about Paul's death... Paul died a martyr. The, uh, if you know the history or of the, the word martyr, uh, it comes from a Greek word, which means what? Which means witness. Okay, it means witness. Um, so the word martyr that we have today got its English meaning because those in the early church who we've read about, we've studied about several of them, uh, showed their witness to Christ and what He's done and to the faith uh, so consistently that many of them often were killed for their beliefs. And that's why we have this word martyr that means originally witness. Uh, so the, the term of the word martyrdom is synonymous with witnessing. Um, think about that the next time you want to witness about your faith, right? Right? Uh, uh, it could cost me my life. And that's very possible that it could cost you your life. Uh, and, and those that we would we call martyrs uh, would pay the ultimate price. And as we, are, as we know, that the blood of martyrs is the seed of new churches. You'll hear that. If you, if you haven't heard that, at, and we mentioned this morning that Samuel Thomas is going to be with us this evening, he, he's seen that firsthand. Okay? Seen it. And you, he, he may talk about it tonight uh, because... Believers in India often die for their faith. Uh, it happens regularly. And what we can see is the Lord at work. And we hear testimony from, from Samuel about what God's doing. Uh, this death is not the end. Martyrdom is not the end. It is only really the beginning for those who love Christ. Paul finish, uh, con- fin- uh, continues Excuse me, in verse 7. He says, he says this, and these are we know these words very well. He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. So let's look at those three. He says three things here, right? About the good fight, uh, and about a race, and about keeping the faith. So let's look at those three things uh, individually uh, for a moment. Before we, before we get to that, uh, Dr. Sproul told a story about his father. His, uh, his father died when he was a young man. His father died when R.C. was at the age of 17. And he said uh, his dad had a lot of health issues and he had to help his dad with a lot of things around the house. 
And he says, uh, one day, uh, as he was helping his dad move from a room to another room or something, uh, his dad uh, said these words, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. And R.C. mentions, he says, I wasn't a Christian at the time. He said, I never even read a Bible or opened the Bible at that time in my life. So he didn't understand the significance of what the words that his dad were saying. Uh, he said, but he said to his dad, oh, dad, don't say that. That was his words. Dad, don't say that. And that would be actually the last words that he ever says to his father. Because shortly after that, his dad had a massive stroke. He never regained consciousness and he died. That was the last words. His dad was trying to share his faith with him and he didn't really understand what his dad was saying. Well, here, uh, Paul, the first piece of this verse, Paul said he has fought the good fight. Now when you think about the fight, what is the good fight? What does it look like? Well, our, uh, if we're honest with ourselves, the contemporary view of modern day, I would say American Christianity, is that we are never to be involved with any sort of conflict. There are many Christians who believe this. Uh, we are supposed to be peacekeepers all the time. Keep the peace at all costs. Uh, never be engaged in any debate or any argument. Well, um, certainly Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And certainly we are, uh, the New Testament um, tells us not to be quarrelsome. In other words, we don't go looking for fights. Right? It's not really what we're called to do. Um, we, are, we are not uh, called to be antagonistic. Uh, we, again, we're not, we don't, we're not trying to pick a fight with anyone. Okay? But the fight is out there. Okay? And in all reality, the fight is here. It is in this world. That's where the fight exists. And it can be a good fight. Okay? Like... Paul says, Paul says, I fought the good fight. The fight is here. It's still with us. And it can be a very good fight. Now, we know that there is spiritual warfare. Okay, it is out there. It's in the heavenly places. Uh, a lot of it we cannot see. But we are absolutely engaged in it. We see it in the world. Uh, we see it in our own hearts, right? We have have a fight within us, don't we? As we uh, continue to fight that old man, doing those things that we don't want to do. But we do them anyway. The things I want to do, I don't do. Right? An internal fight. This is what, and and that's certainly I think part of what Paul's saying, but he's also talking about that other fight, that spiritual warfare. What's happening in the world today? What's going on in the news? What do we read? There's a fight going on. It's a fight for the truth, isn't it? The truth is under attack like never before. Uh, The truth of uh, God's Word, His Gospel is being fought against. It is trying to be destroyed because man in his natural state does not want to hear truth from God. He wants to define for himself what is true and what is good. And so it's an age-old fight. It's been going on since the fall, right? So the fight is there. And this spiritual warfare, we, you and me, not just apostles, not just preachers, not just elders, not just deacons, all believers, all 
Christians are to be engaged in the war, in the fight. We're soldiers, we have been enlisted, we have been drafted into this fight. And we're called to defend the faith. We're called to defend the faith that we claim we have and we believe. It's more. It's, it's, take, it's basically saying this. You got to take it the next step. You got to go defend it in the world, the world that is trying to attack it. R.C. adds that it's and, it, and and when we think about this defense of the faith, um, that's uh, kind of you can think of a defensive operation when attacked to defend the faith. But he says, but it, you know, it's not enough just to defend the faith. It's not, in other words. Uh, to live out your life and to have an attack come to you and defend it. That's, that's one thing. Yes, we're called to do that. He said, but that's actually not enough. He says, we're called to contend for the faith. Now, what is that? Contention, contending for the faith, is offensive. It is going forward. Contending. Right? That's not... Uh, defending the faith is more of a defensive operation, um, which, again, is a part of what we're doing. But contending for the faith means we've got to get in the fight. To be a contender, you got to be in the fight. You got to be in the ring. To be a contender, to contend for the faith is difference between defensive operation and, and, and offensive. We see it every day in in, in my job uh, when I work with the fire department. We we have defensive. Y'all know what we do. We put out fires, right? Uh, we have defensive operations and we have offensive operations. When we show up uh, to a house fires, one of the most dangerous things we do when we show up to a scene and we see a house that's 50%, 75% involved in fire. We make the decision it's too dangerous to go in. We still got to fight the fire, but we're going to do it defensively. We do it from the outside. It's too dangerous. I can't go in there. So we make a decision. We're going to be defensive operations. We're squirting water from the outside until we can bring it under control. On other cases, when you get there and the fire is contained inside the house... We know we can safely make entry. We can go offensive. We can go in there. We can put our gear on. We can put our turnout gear, our air packs, all of our protective clothing. We can go in and fight this and put this out. Maybe save someone's life. That's an offensive attack. Well, getting in there in the fight is called is contending for the faith, being engaged. It's not enough just to sit back and wait. You have to be engaged. So what does it mean to be a contender. Well, you think about it in a sports context. Uh, you think about it in the boxing world, and I've never been a fan of boxing. I don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, but especially in the boxing world, uh, in order to be a contender, you have to win. You have to win matches. And you have to win enough to become ranked. In order to defeat the champion, you have to be a contender. Right, you have to rise to the top. You have to beat uh, the champion. Well, Paul was a contender. He was engaged in the fight. He was a contender. In fact, Paul was a champion. Paul was a champion. Is what uh, Dr. Sproul said. He says, "Next to Christ, Paul was the supreme champion of the kingdom of God. He was a contender." He was involved. He was engaged in the battle. So when we think about this good fight, right? we think about it's not just internal. It's in the world as well. It is in, in, it, it's, it's, it's a fight. Um, it's a good fight. 
and we have to contend for the faith. And that's it's getting harder and harder today to do it. Again, just look at the news in the last week. Some of the things that are happening in the world and truth is under attack, isn't it? We have to contend for that. And there will be repercussions. There will be ramifications when Christians stand up and contend for the faith in an honorable way. Again, not to be, we're not picking fights, but, but we have to contend. We have to speak truth. There will be consequences. There will be ramifications. We can see it in Paul's own life. So we shouldn't expect anything any different. Well, Paul had indeed uh, fought the good fight. And each and every one of us, again, I said this a minute ago, each and every one of us, officers, non-officers, it doesn't matter. We're all, every believer is called to be in the same battle. The same one that Paul was in. Next, Paul said that he had to finish the race. Now, he's not talking about just a a 100-yard dash, right? A little short sprint that's over in 10 seconds or whatever, right? Nine, 10 seconds. He's talking about more like a marathon, isn't he? Right? That's, that's, he's talking more like a marathon. And this marathon that he's talking about that is lasts way longer than 26 miles. Uh, this race that Paul's referring to has lasted his entire life. This race was has lasted his entire life. Uh, Dr. Sproul said... He says, I struggle with patience and I pray for it all the time. He said, I have two speeds, fast and off. (laughs) Two speeds, fast and off. He said, but patience is what you need to run a marathon. You have to have patience. If you try to sprint a marathon, you won't make it. Right? Marathon runners will tell you that. You cannot run a marathon like you run a 100-yard dash. You will not make it. It requires patience. And so Paul's saying to Timothy that he hadn't just started a race and sprint through it. He's been running and he's been running and he's been running his entire life in this race, this marathon. But he's been running towards and for the hope that is set before him. What's Paul say in 1 Corinthians 9.24? It says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? It says, run in such a way that you will obtain it. What? That means run to win. That means striving towards the goal that is set before you. That is not a sitting by and just watching everybody go past you. It's, a, it's to be in the race, to, but to be, it's the, just like we talked about a minute, about it being a contender. Being a contender. It's not enough just to sit on the sidelines and watch everybody go by. You've got to be in the race. You've got to run in order that you may win the race. And so now at this time in Paul's life, the race is over. His race is over. It's, it's done. And he had kept uh, the faith the entire time. Right? That's what he says. He says, I have kept the faith now, when you think about keeping the faith, yes, certainly his faith in Christ, that is a faith that we possess, he had kept it. But when he thinks about, when he's thinking about this keeping the faith, this is more of a military uh, illustration. Uh, we have some here uh, who have served in the military. Uh, and we know that every soldier in the military is responsible for ma- remaining faithful to his commanding officer, his general, and to his country. 
to follow orders, to do what you are told to do, to be there. When the shooting starts, okay, because every soldier trains for battle. You're training for war. That's what they don't train. You train for war. So when the shooting starts, the faithful soldier, the one who has kept the faith, does not run. He does not quit. And he does not hide. The, if you remember, um, in our own history, we, the um, Battle of um, Gettysburg, the um, the North, and we have to talk about the North for a little bit, right? Because I know we're in the South, but we talk about the North. We talk about uh, the Battle of Little Round Top. I know all of you have heard of it. Um, well, the Battle of Little Round Top was won because of the faithfulness of one soldier. Well, many, but the leadership of one. Let me put it that way. Uh, Joshua Chamberlain. He was with the 20, he commanded the twentieth man. He's a Northerner. He's a Yankee. I get it. Okay, but 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 a wonderful testimony of what it means to be a soldier, also a Christian soldier. Okay, this man deeply committed to the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if you, anybody been to Gettysburg, have you seen the battlefield? Okay, good. Some of you have. If you ever get a chance to go? Just go. It's wonderful to go be there where this kind of stuff happened because this is the stuff that legends are made of. <clears throat> Big, you got big, uh, you've got uh, big round top and little round top. It's a big hill and little hill. Okay, basically, it's what you got. And so Chamberlain, the 20th Maine, he's a he's a new commander. He's he's young. He's only been in the service maybe a year, maybe I can't remember a year or two. Very very young guy, in in the service, and he's put at the end of the line. Okay, he's the end of the line. He's told to hold it. This is your orders. Your orders are to hold the line. Do not abandon your post. Hold the line. So he's at the end. Uh, so if you're facing Little Round Top, he's kind of to the right, kind of down the hill. And um, the South started to make a charge on his on his hill, on, on, on the hill. And again, he's at the end of the line. What, what, what was he, he told? He says, hey, you got to hold this at all costs. Remain faithful. Stay here. Do not leave your post. Do not run. Retreat is not an option. You have to stay here. So they... Um, Repelled the first line. They ran out of ammo. Okay, so no ammo. What do you do? Retreat. No. I'm going to hold the line. This is Joshua Chamberlain. He's the commander. I'm going to hold the line. He ordered a bayonet charge. He extended his line. He, he spread his men out. And he, he, did, and he bent them around the back of, of the line. He, 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 what, what you can look at it, you say, man, that's crazy. That's foolish. Why would you do that? But he was doing everything he could do to keep his assignment, to, to remain faithful, to be there, to not retreat. And he ordered a bayonet charge because he's out of ammo. And he repelled the entire attack, the assault on the hill. Basically made him what they would say. They, no, nobody ever really said who won that battle, north or the south, right? A lot north said they won, south said they didn't, it was a stalemate. Whatever, he was basically the hero of the whole battle. He kept it, the lines from falling. Because why? Because he remained faithful he did not abandon he kept his assignment he knew that's what that's what I'm called to do and I'll be here now what is the uh, we have a marine a former marine here well not a former marine I guess once a marine always a marine right I think uh, we have a marine corps uh, officer here uh, what's the marine corps motto semper, semper fi semper fidelis right always faithful that's a good motto right always Faithful. Well, basically, that's what Paul was saying about his life. Semper fidelis. Always faithful. 
to his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to the to the faith, faithfulness to the doctrine and defending the doctrine and contending for the doctrine of his Lord Jesus Christ. He never compromised in the face of opposition. He never surrendered. He stayed the course and he remained faithful. Verse 8. He says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So we're talking about races. We're talking about um, contending. We've got these analogies. And, you know, today, I mean, we just had the the Summer Olympics, right? Um, We watched Olympic uh, medal winners. They stand up on a podium and they receive a gold medal, which is the prize. It's the prize for finishing, for doing well, for competing well, right, to finishing at the top. Of course, during the ancient Olympic Games, they didn't receive a gold medal. They received a laurel wreath. That was their prize. Well, Paul here is talking about a prize. He's talking about a crown. It's not a gold medal. It's not a laurel wreath, right? The crown Paul is talking about here was the crown of righteousness that Christ has set aside for him in glory. Christ has reserved this crown for Paul. And he's waiting to give it to him. 1 Corinthians 9.15 This is the next verse the one, uh, after the one we just read about competing in the race. Paul says, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it, they do that to obtain a perishable crown. But we, for an imperishable crown. This crown of righteousness. Imperishable. Reserved. Set aside for Christ, for His servants, His believers. And now Paul's saying, I'm not getting a gold medal. I'm not getting a law wreath. That's not what is waiting for me. I'm about to receive this crown of righteousness. And he's ready to receive it. He's ready. He's fought the good fight. He's kept the faith. He's finished the good race. Now Paul goes on uh, for a few verses and he uh, names he names names here in 2 Timothy. Um, people who have betrayed Him. Here forever. Names. People who have uh, betrayed Him. Even though He does that, he when He gets to the end of this letter, He ends with doxology. He ends with praise. Okay, words of praise. And He's thanking God for His unsearchable mercy. mercy his endless grace And he says in verse 17, he says, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, he kind of adds this, Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And we'll talk about that in a minute. He says, The Lord has been with me throughout everything. His entire life, the Lord, the Lord's been with me. He's strengthened me, and we know that the Lord promises to uh, never to leave us or forsake us. And that's not a promise just to Paul; it's a promise to all His children. It's a promise to you and me that He will never leave us or forsake us, no matter how bad things get, no matter how hard things get, no matter what trial you find yourself in. 
And then he says, so that all Gentiles may hear. Well, what Paul probably had in his mind is that uh, Paul had been able to go to Rome and preach. Remember, we had some saved. We had some saints in Rome. And so being able to bring the Gospel to such such an audience, a pagan audience in Rome, uh, Paul could say that he had reached all the Gentiles. Because remember, this is Rome was the center of the known world. So Paul could say, the Gospel has been taken to all Gentiles. He could say that at the end of his life. And of course, that was a fulfillment of his very own commission, of the Great Commission, but also his commission, his enlistment into this service as an Apostle of Christ uh, to take the Gospel to the Gentiles. And so looking back on all these years of his missionary journeys in his life, he could say that all the Gentiles have now heard. Now he says this kind of strange sentence. He says, also I was delivered out of the mouth of a lion. Now, we don't have a record of Paul being delivered physically from the mouth of a real lion. So what's he talking about? Well, what he's most likely talking about is referring to a lion, referring to being delivered from the mouth of a lion. Um, the lion was, was a common figure for mortal danger. So, you know, it was a... Um, it was a, a phrase just used to describe ge- danger in general. And so, uh, of course, looking back on Paul's life, being in physical danger, harm, immediate harm, was very common for Paul. Okay, so it's, so it's very possible that Paul was saying in a general sense, I've been delivered from the mouth of a lion. Many times. Not a literal lion, but delivered from the mouth of danger. From danger. Dangerous situations many times. Um, some, some even said that uh, he was even referring to Nero uh, himself, being delivered from Nero. Um, P- remember, what, what, what does Peter say? How does Peter describe Satan over in First Peter? He says, well, he says, be, this is Peter uh, speaking, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like what? Like a roaring lion, uh, seeking all whom he may devour. And so probably what Paul is trying to say here is that um, it was not without the wonderful and gracious assistance from God okay, that he has escaped many, many dangers. Okay? What do you say? God's been with him and has strengthened him in all these ways. And God has saved me uh, from many dangerous situations. And the last verse here, uh, verse 22, it says, this is... Uh, Paul's last words to Timothy. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit and grace be with you all. Amen. Now this is the same benediction uh, that uh, Paul used in his previous letter over in 1 Timothy uh, when he finished his first letter to Timothy. And uh, the you here, he says, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, the you, and grace be with you. That last you. Okay, that's plural. Okay? Um, this plural. That means he's writing to Timothy, but he's also writing to the rest of the saints, especially, in particular, the saints at Ephesus, okay, where Timothy is. He's writing to, to him and the rest of the saints. Uh, grace be uh, to you all. He could, could say y'all. Right? Paul's not from the south, right? He didn't say y'all. Um. Dr. Sproul ended this thing, you know, he says, you know, I can only imagine how Timothy might have reacted as he received this letter and got to the end. 
his great mentor. Um, Paul loved Timothy dearly, and Timothy loved Paul. And he says, I, I can only imagine that Timothy must have been emotional. He had to have been. Again, uh, Paul was such an influence in his life. And uh, now he gets to the end of the letter and he learns that Paul's about to die. So I can imagine he was emotional. Um, but at the same time, I can imagine he was also very encouraged because the Apostle was praying for him. The Apostle Paul, uh, the champion of the faith, was praying for grace uh, for Timothy and for his people. And that would indeed be an encouragement. I will uh, end, uh, I'll conclude with uh, a quote from uh, Matthew Henry. It says, We need no more to make us happy than to have the Lord Jesus Christ with our spirits. For in Him all spiritual blessings are summed up. It is the best prayer we can offer to our friends that the Lord Jesus Christ may be with their spirits to sanctify and to save them, and at last to receive them to Himself. Many who believe as Paul as now are before the throne, giving glory to their Lord. May we be followers of them. Any uh, questions or any comments? We have a few minutes before... We need to be done. Okay. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for our time. We thank You for this study as we cover this epilogue, uh, these last words of Paul uh, to his servant Timothy, or to his his son Timothy, Father, son of the faith. And we just thank You for uh, this study that has taken us a year and a half uh, to go through. We thank You for being here with us, Father. And we ask... That, uh, that you would send the Holy Spirit to be here with us, Father, to encourage us uh, in your truth. We pray that uh, we would take, uh, take this life of Paul, his life as an example, Father, as we consider being in the race. And Father, as we consider being a contender, Father, and as we consider uh, keeping the faith and remaining faithful to the mission and to our great commander. So, Father, we pray that you will encourage us all in the faith, and we pray that you will continue to use your church in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.